when you're taking that time to seek the Lord and have extended time in the Word, you, you can actually hear from Him a lot easier than you can. And uh, often I find it quite difficult to hear what the Lord is saying. I don't know about you, but I, I have to spend a lot of time searching the Scriptures and seeking God. And at that time, I, I felt the Lord really speak to me. And one time I was reading in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 14. This is what my sermon will be based on today. And these Scriptures really jumped out at me. Uh, from, the, from the Word, and it's Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 40, especially verse 35. And Jesus said, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so blessed are those slaves. But be sure this, that if the head of the house had known on what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not think or suppose. Just pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning through your word. May we hear from heaven. May your Holy Spirit be in charge of everything that is said and done and happens in this room this, in this next few minutes or so. May we have ears that hear what your Spirit is saying to the church, Father, we pray. May we hear, may, 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 may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we may see and hear what you are saying and what you are doing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verse 35, especially, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. There's a lot going on. I don't know if you've been aware of it. There's a lot going on in the world today. And if you get in, you can, you can very easily become a couch potato and sit on CNN or BBC and get completely skewed in your mind what's going on in the world and you can get into panic mode, you can you know, then you can go online and you can start getting into all these conspiracy theories and get sucked into those. And I feel that we as Christians are either going one way or the other, but the one way we need to go is the way of God and having our eyes focused on things above. It's so easy to have our eyes focused on the things of the world and what's going on in the things of the world. There's earthquakes happening, there's famines, there's pestilences and that can stir us up. And it's good to be aware of what's going on. I'm not saying put our heads in the sand, be aware. But most importantly, keep your perspective looking up. What did Jesus say? He said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now it's exactly the time to be preparing ourselves for the second coming of Christ. When Jesus was speaking in Luke chapter 21 about the signs of his coming, he spoke many things and about many persecutions that were coming and many signs that we were to look for. We were to look for these things. He said right at the end of it, he said, Pray that you might have strength to go through all these things and that you may stand before the Son of Man. And it's that bit that I think we often miss because we, we get the thing that persecution is coming and we all get focused on that but are we ever praying this prayer that you may stand before the Son of Man? There's only one type of people that's going to be able to stand before the Son of Man, those who are dressed 
and then this Nirvana lunch meet. And at the coming of the Sunrise, I think many people are going to be shocked and completely taken by surprise because they assumed they were okay. They assumed everything was wonderful, everything was fine. Because that's all they ever heard. Until one day they stand before the Son of Man and they want to kneel before him and they're not able to stand because they're naked before him. The Bible says, be dressed in readiness. It's almost like this sense of standing at the door, watching and waiting, being alert. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. When I read these verses, immediately my mind went to Exodus 12 and Passover. Where God was talking to the Israelites and he says, I'm going to pass through Egypt and I'm going to strike down every firstborn male in Egypt. But if you eat the Passover, if you draw the blood over the lintels and the doorposts of your house, you stay in the house, I'll pass over you. And you eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste, which is the Lord's Passover. And as they ate the Lord's Passover, so the cry went up that night, the Lord passed through. And the cry went up, and the, and the armies of Israel left Egypt. And the Exodus, in some ways, is like our getting saved and coming out of this world. But in another way, the Exodus is very much talk, talking, teaching us about when Jesus returns and delivers us out of Egypt and calls us out of Egypt the land of slavery, which we now sojourn. He, he needs to find us in the house covered by blood, with our loins girded, sandals on our feet, with our staff in our hand, eating the Passover lamb, ready at any moment when the cry comes up, the Lord is here, come and meet the bridegroom. And we need to have that state of readiness, a state of we're ready at any moment. I think often in church we we take things far too casually. I don't really do longer. But I think we take things very, very casually, especially in England. We, we have this culture of flippancy. And everything's a joke. And everything is to be taken easy and lightly. And we never go heavy. God wants us to be heavy at times. He wants us to consider these matters and take them to heart. Are we in the faith? Are we genuinely in the faith? Where are we about in our faith? Or are, we, are we ready for his coming? Because the Lord will come at an hour we do not expect. Many will be caught unawares. You be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus says the way to be ready is to be dressed in readiness with your lamps lit. That's the way. So what does Jehovah uh, speak to us about this? The scripture says when we come to the faith, God clothes us with garments of salvation. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. And if we're not clothed in the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ, we will not be ready for him at his return. It's as simple as that. We have no righteousness of our own. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've tried to be righteous in my own strength and fail miserably every, at every turn. And I've tried really hard at times. And, and there is a trying in the Christian faith. There's a, there's a laboring, there is a fighting against sin. There's a fighting you must do in his strength. And 
learning how to do it in his strength, which is the difficult thing. But it's the glorious joy when you learn how to enter into his righteous acts, which he does through you. And you're doing it, but he's doing it in you and through you. And it's a glory to, to discover his strength and to discover what is his righteous acts and to enter into them. So the only ones who are going to be saved on that day are those who are dressed in the correct apparel. And the correct apparel is the robe of righteousness. It's not our robe of righteousness. We cannot whip ourselves enough. We cannot witness enough. We cannot read the Bible enough. We cannot do enough. And certainly uh, this morning I'm not trying to whip you into doing more. I'm trying to exhort you into knowing Christ. Knowing Christ and being clothed in Him and in His righteousness. So when we first come to the faith, we become clothed in his righteousness for the first time. And this is the evidence we have been genuinely saved. If anyone says they've been saved, but they have no desire for the things of God. No desire to turn away from wickedness, even to the smallest degree. I question whether they have actually been saved at all. And I fear, I really fear in my heart that there are many in the church today who are not actually saved but think they are. There's one thing if you're in the world and you know you're not saved and you need to get saved, that's one thing, that's, that's one thing. But if you're in the church and you think you're saved and you assume you're saved because you've had some spiritual experience or because you've felt something, a hearing or something, and you just assume because you felt something you're saved, that's a really dangerous place to be. And I think the churches today, especially in the West, we're breeding more and more people like this who have had some sort of experience who've had had a nice feeling in church, because they've had a nice feeling, they think they've got saved because they've said a prayer. Because the pastor's told them they're saved, they're saved, and they're not. Unless you've been clothed in the robe of righteousness, you're not saved, and you're still in your sins. When you come to Christ, there is a definitive change. You have, you have been born again. You have changed from death to life. If someone says that that, that happened to me yet, and nothing really happened in their life. I question, are you really saved? And I think that's a great start point. Am I really saved? I don't think we have to question ourselves all the time. But was there a definitive moment in my life when I met the Lord and I repented of my sins and the Lord met with me and I fed on the Passover lamb for the first time? Something of Christ was imparted into my heart and I felt clean for the first time in my life. If you've never felt clean and wrapped in his robe of righteousness in your life, I question, have you actually been saved properly? You may be on the way, and that's good. There's, there's a lot of people on the way. But we shouldn't be telling people they're saved when they're not actually made it through that gate, because that gate is very narrow and it's difficult to find. And it's so difficult only Jesus can show you. Them. And I feel we're so quick to tell everyone that they're Christian because they prayed a prayer. I prayed with someone once to receive Christ, and I knew at the end of it he hadn't received Christ at all. He just repeated prayer, he just repeated like a mantra. So often we, we want to confirm people and give them assurance and make them feel good. Now we need that evidence of the inside. Am I clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Or do I remember a time when, when, when Christ entered my heart and I felt clean and I was washed of my sins? Because I was washed in the blood of Christ. That is the evidence that I'm saved. We become alive to God. John Wesley quoted this, I felt that my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, 
even mine. And save me from the most in the name. Have you experienced something? It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but have you experienced a sense where an assurance is given you that Jesus Christ has accepted you, that you are forgiven, that the slate has been washed clean, that you're a dirty, terrible sinner, but my slate has been washed clean and I now stand in his righteous robe of righteousness. I'm talking about a conviction of faith that God loves me. And I know that God has accepted me through Christ. And we don't live by feelings, we live by faith. But a living faith works effectually in our hearts. And if you say you have faith, that faith will do something in you. And if it doesn't do something in you, I question whether you actually have faith or if you have just have belief. And there's a lot of people in church who have belief. They believe in God, but the demons believe in God. What is the... What is the benefit if you have a belief but it doesn't do anything in you. By faith Noah built an ark. By faith Moses left Egypt. By faith we do something. We don't start with doing, we start with faith. But faith motivates us to do something. And if there's no doing, is there any faith really? That's not to try to whip you, it's just to get you to analyse my life. Am I in the faith? Because if I am in the faith in Christ, I should have a desire to do something in Christ. And if I don't have that, perhaps it's time to get on my knees and seek God to actually be in that time where I do have that desire in my heart. <coughs> so God clothes us with garments of salvation when we become born again. Does that mean I can presume that I will always be clothed in them? Now that's a question, isn't it? It's going to really stir up a hornet's nest. If God clothes me with garments of salvation when I first get saved, from that moment on, can I presume and from now on, I will always be clothed with garments of salvation. I would say no. And the reason I say that is because of Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. It says this. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes. So that he will not walk around naked and men will not see his shame. I've spoken to church people like you and me. Blessed is the man who stays awake. In other words, you have become, become awake, don't go back to sleep again. And keeps his clothes. In other words, you have been clothed, but keep your clothes. Walk with that clothing. Continue to clothe yourself with Christ. So that he will not walk around naked and men will not see his shame. I think there's real seriousness needed in our faith in these last days. These two concepts, they seem to fit together to me. If you stay awake and keep your clothes, those two things go together. Because when you go to bed, what do you do? Get undressed, you get in bed. When you fall asleep in the faith, what do you do? You become undressed. There is a need for believers to stay awake in the faith in order to keep dressed. And I don't know about you, but I've fallen asleep many times in my faith. And the problem with sleeping is you don't realise you're asleep until you wake up. The only reason I've realised that I've been asleep is because there's been times when God has woken me up. And I remember those times quite clearly in my mind. Times when the Lord was doing a work in my heart when he was taking me through a particular difficult time and the Lord was very close to me at a certain time and I suddenly realised I was awake. But it was really the contrast was how I had been for the last ten years before that time I'd been asleep. 
but I, but I was very active in the church. I was doing lots of things, maybe even preaching in churches and, and prayer meetings and doing this and doing that. I've been asleep. I didn't even know. I was talking in Bulgaria. I say the same story. Often, Tan and I would talk together and pray together in bed. And she'd be talking to me, and then she'd say, "You're not listening to anything I'm saying. You're sleeping." I'd say, "I'm not sleeping. I heard every word you said. What did I just say?" I think it was something she said. She said, I said that ten minutes ago. I said, I didn't go to sleep. She said, yes, you did. You were snoring. <laughs> and I am absolutely oblivious that I'd fallen asleep. And in my mind, I was completely awake. And I, and I argued with her. She said, stop arguing. You were sleeping. You were snoring. And I said, no, I wasn't. And I'm completely oblivious to the fact that I've fallen asleep and this is exactly what it's like in our Christian world. We drift. It's so easy to drift and I've done it so many times. And that's why we need to constantly maintain a sense of alertness in the spirit and waking ourselves up and awaken from sleep because almost like our default state as, as Christians would probably be that we're asleep. When Jesus returned in the parable of the wise and foolish religions, how many of the virgins were sleeping? All of them. Just that the wise had got ready in the days when they were awake, in the hours when they were awake. There's a need for really staying awake in order to be dressed properly. I want to go to the Song of Songs, chapter 3 and chapter 5. It talks about two different virgin brides. In Song of Songs, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, One virgin bride. On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but did not find him. Interesting, she was seeking him on her bed. As long as you stay in bed, you may seek him, but you will not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. So she gets up. What does she do after she gets up? She gets dressed. You don't know about me, do you? gets dressed and she starts seeking for him whom her soul loves. I must get up. There's that compelling sense in her spirit that she must get up, get out of bed. She realises that she's in bed. I must get up, get dressed, start seeking him. And she seeks him and she seeks him. She doesn't find him initially, but she keeps seeking him. And if she doesn't give up, she keeps seeking him. And she finally finds him. And it's her best dream. They're joined together. Because she keeps seeking him. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. First, we need to awake, O sleeper. And the problem is, the church, most intense and purposes, the church is asleep, and certainly in the West, in the UK, I'm talking in general, of course, the church is sleeping. They have no sense of urgency. They think because of their great programs and events and projects, Actually, doing something for God, but God is not in the projects, God is not in the events. We need to realize we're sleeping and get up. I must arise and get up. Like us as believers, there will be times when we fall asleep in our faith. But what we need to do is realize we're sleeping and get up and seek the Lord and, and seek Him whilst He may be found. And however long it takes, understand that that's our priority. Our priority is not seeing the latest movies on Netflix or 
or getting the latest report from BBC or who knows. Our priority must be seeking the Lord whilst he may be found. Call on him whilst he is near, for no time comes when no man can work. Whilst I am Lord, I am the light of the Lord Jesus. Seek him whilst the light is shining before the darkness comes. But then there's another virgin bride in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. This virgin bride's surprise, surprise is in bed as well. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. Amazing, beautiful words that Brian was speaking to her, calling her. Come to me, my dove, my perfect one, my darling. My head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. What is her response? I have taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I bother dirtying them again? She doesn't want to get out of bed. She's taken off her robe. She's undressed. She's too comfortable in bed. And he keeps knocking. And eventually she says, oh, okay, go on then. I'll get up. So she gets up eventually. She opens the door and the Bible says that her hands were dripped with myrrh. Myrrh represents death. She is anointed for death and she doesn't even know it. And she opens the door to her beloved and her beloved is gone. She searches for him. And just imagine the alarm. Because she opens that door and he's gone. And she starts searching for him. She doesn't find him. She keeps searching she still doesn't find him. The watchmen of the city find her. They don't treat her kindly. They beat her. They take away her shawl. She's left naked, uncovered, embarrassed, alone. Such a contrast between the two virgin brides. They're both virgin brides. They're both in bed. But one realises they're in bed and gets up and starts seeking after him. He says, I must go about the city. I must go and seek for him whom my soul loves. But the other one stays in bed and says, I've taken off my garments, why should I have put them back on again? Both times the bridegroom comes in the night time. But the second bride, virgin bride, is unwilling to dress herself once more to go to the bridegroom. <coughs> Jesus said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. This is a command. This is something we need to take to heart. Am I dressed? Have you ever asked yourself a question, am I dressed in the correct robes of righteousness? Am I dressed in the robes of Christ? Let us be like the first virgin bride. If you find that you're in bed, and I found myself in bed many times in the faith, get up, start seeking God, take time. Don't get distracted, there's so many distractions out there, I tell you, I get distracted so easily. It's such a temptation to get distracted with the old social media and the news and the things going on. So take time to seek God whilst it is still day. For night time comes when no man can work. You need to be get dressed, get up, get dressed and be ready. Be in a state of readiness, watching and waiting for him to return. Watching and waiting. The Laodicean church in the book of Revelation is often considered to mirror the last day's church self-satisfied and thinking because they're so successful and materially wealthy that they have been blessed of God and they right with him. But what does Jesus say about them? Revelation chapter 3 verses 17 to 20. You say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. 
and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If you realised you were naked, what would you do? You'd quickly grab some underpants and get some vest on and get yourself dressed as fast as possible because you do not want to be naked. But this church is wandering around and before Jesus they are naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves. What are these white garments? They're the righteous acts of Christ that he, he clothes us with. That the shame of your nakedness no will not be revealed. An eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I will reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. You need to live, live repentant lifestyles. Keep short accounts of God. If, you, if, you, if your conscience has been troubled, if you've sinned, if you've fallen in sin, deal with this very Don't put it off. Don't learn to live with sin. Don't become acclimatized to living with sin, even if it appears quite small. Keep short accounts. Get on your knees. Repent. Renew yourself again unto salvation. Be, come unto the blood of Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and to dine with him and he with me. How similar to Psalm 75. Jesus standing at the door and he's knocking. He's knocking. Come in, I want to come in. Jesus is not even on the inside of this church. They're so, so busy congratulating themselves on how blessed they are. So focused on themselves, they do not even realize that Jesus is not even among them. Like in the example of the second virgin bride. He's on the outside of the door knocking. My dove, my perfect one. He's saying so beautiful words. But Jesus won't stand there forever. I think so often in our Christian life we, we think, well, I'll get saved tomorrow. I'll, I'll get saved when I get older and I've had my fun in life. I'll, 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 I'll really be serious with Christ later when it doesn't cost me the things which I don't need to cost me now. We put things off, we procrastinate, and I'm, I'm the master of procrastination, I tell you. I think many of us are in the faith. But the time is short and Jesus will not come knocking forever. And there are times and opportunities in life when he knocks. And you need to be ready to open the door when he knocks. Because he doesn't knock forever. Jesus wants to come into the throne room of your heart. And he's saying, open to me my darling, my dove, my perfect one. He's speaking beautiful words because he loves you. He loves me. He wants to have sweet fellowship. If we only knew what sweet fellowship there is with Jesus, all this nonsense in the world just fell into insignificance. People running after parties and getting drunk and drugs and the next experience and the next experience because they're so unhappy and unsatisfied in life. If they only knew how sweet fellowship with Jesus Christ is, they'd never go running after these vain and empty things. When you find Christ, you find everything. And Jesus is just all in all. He wants to have sweet fellowship with you, but he's only going to do it with those who get out of bed. He's looking for a certain type of people, those who will seek after him and seek him with all their heart. If you seek him with a half heart, you will not let him find him. 
you will find me if you seek me for me with all of your heart. Not half of your heart. I don't know about you often my, my prayers have been half-hearted and I sort of check myself as I'm praying and thinking, am I actually wholehearted in what I'm praying right now? And I think, actually I'm not. And so one eye is on God and the other eye is on some project I need to do. I have to discipline myself and sort of focus my mind. But often I've been half-hearted. God wants a people to be wholehearted wholly focused on him. That's quite difficult when you have to do jobs and look after families and do stuff in the world, but it's something we train ourselves in. He wants to meet you in sweet fellowship. But if we keep putting off the call, there will come a time when he stops knocking and that's the worst time of all. When he's given us over to our sin. And I have a feeling that many people, even in the church today, have been given over to their sin because they love their sin and they will not be parted from you. One day, if you love your sin and die in your sin, then you will not have Christ, who is the author of life. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame. I don't know about you, but if you have a picture of what the judgment seat of Christ is going to look like, there's going to be people at the judgment seat of Christ who are naked before a holy God. And they are squirming from hide in the face of Jesus on the throne. There'll be many people who are in the church who will find those who have just assumed everything is wonderful and everything is great because I'm a member of the Baptist church, I'm a member of the Methodist church, I've been baptized, I've done this, I've done that. But they'll be there naked because they were never dressed before God. And they never kept their clothes. They never stay the way they prefer to stay in bed. I'll take my dress off. Why should I get dressed in it again? There'll be many people like that. Why did Jesus warn us if, if that's not going to be the case? We want to be those who are dressed and ready, who are ready to see our Master when He returns. And it's just the most joyful experience of all when He comes, because we're ready. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. So, how can we keep ourselves dressed? And in a state of readiness. I want to go to Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was just talking about loving our neighbour as ourselves, and he says in verse 11, Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Who is he talking to? You and me, church people. Are we awake? Yes, we got awake, but we got saved, but we probably fall asleep somewhere along the line. It is now, it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for our salvation is nearer to us than what we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armour of light. Let us behave properly, as in the day, not in carousing, in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, in sensuality, not in strife, jealousy, but put on, other versions say, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That's serious words. Firstly, we must awaken from our sleep, realise we're sleeping and awaken from sleep. Unless you realise you're sleeping, you will not wake up from sleep. Unless an alarm call sounds, you will not be waking from your sleep. 
If your alarm clock did not sound for you this morning, I would not be here this morning because I was too tired. You know, I don't have slept. Listen to the alarm call when it rings. There is a need to be dressed in God's robe of righteousness and actively to be seeking God for us. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. Make no provision for the sin for the flesh. It doesn't say makes only some provision. It makes no provision for the flesh. You are a mortal war with the flesh in your body. Did you know that you're at war? You're not at war with the Muslims. You're not at war with the atheists. You're not at war with the secular people. You're at war with your flesh. This flesh will try and dominate you. And it is your duty in Christ Jesus through his strength to put down the deeds of the flesh. And that's not something you do by whipping yourself on. It's by entering into the righteous acts of Christ and finding his strength to put down the flesh. You need to learn how to discipline your flesh. That's a process that will take many years, many months and many years. And we'll be doing it until Jesus Christ comes. This process we must go to make no provision for the flesh. Walking according to the flesh dulls your spiritual senses and lulls you into a spiritual sleep. If you're spending all your days watching Netflix or TV or being around worldly people, and you know, we work jobs, we're around worldly people. If, you, if, you, if you're in that sort of environment all the time and you never come out of it and spend time with the Lord, your spiritual senses will dull very quickly. When you're dull, you don't hear things, you're not sensitive to things. You don't hear when the alarm comes ringing. It's like you put an earphones on and the alarm, the alarm is ringing in the morning at 6 o'clock and you need to get up and you don't hear it because you've got headphones on because you're usually dulled. That's what the flesh does to us. If we're engaging in any of these things that I mentioned, the carousing, the drunkenness, the sexual promiscuity, the strife, the jealousy, we need to realise this is going to dull our spiritual senses. This is going to put us to sleep. We're going to be like the second virgin bride in bed, not ready for the master when he returns. Be dressed in readiness. We have that sense of readiness. Be ready. Be on the alert. Be watching. Then it says to learn to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be clothed with him. And said, how do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you put on the person? You ever wondered that? Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I clothe myself with Jesus? He's in heaven. I'm here now. He's a person. How do I do that? Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is taking upon ourselves who he actually is, his character, his way, his way of thinking, his way of feeling, being personally conformed into his image, that we become as he was in the world. So the image of Christ is perfected in you. So when people meet you, they're meeting something of Christ in this world. They come away from you and they feel refreshed because they meant something of Christ in you. You know, we haven't been saved in the first instant to go to heaven. Many churches, you, you get the idea that Jesus just came just so he could desperately reach you and get you to go to heaven. Going to heaven is a second, it's just a byproduct of your salvation. You have been saved in the first instance to conform you to the image of Christ. That is why God has saved you. To bring praise unto his name. In Romans chapter 8 verse 29 it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So that, we will be, so that he will be the first one among many brethren. 
Getting saved is just the beginning of the journey. You've just started at the point A. And there's B, C, D, E to go. There's, there's that conforming of ourselves into Christ. He's putting on his character, putting on his love, his gentleness, his compassion, his, his tender mercies, becoming like him in the world. And we become conformed to the image of Christ by walking with him. And as we walk with him, we will become clothed in who he is. So the essence of what I'm trying to say is not to do more things, is to learn to walk with Christ and to know him as your personal saviour, the love of your life, your your greatest joy, your Lord and Saviour. Very much like how a marriage is supposed to be. When a marriage happens, two people become one. They become joined together. And the characteristics of one start to rub off on the other. They'll be reflected in the other for better or for worse. And I, when I got married, people said, you're becoming more like Tanya. I don't know if you mean that in a good way or a bad way. I think it's a good thing. And Tanya, the people are saying, Tanya, you're becoming like Alex, aren't those cold English people? <laughs> we become similar. We rub off on each other. And that's what should happen because two have become one. And the problem with so many marriages today, they're two, two separate individuals trying to live their separate lives and calling themselves married. And that's not a marriage in God's sight. A marriage in God's sight is a man leaves his father and mother, becomes joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. That is godly marriage. That is the joy that we can enter into in the Christian marriage. And it's a picture of Christ and his church. And we are to be joined to Christ. We're betrothed. We're not yet joined. The joining is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are anticipating that day. We need to be getting ready for that day. My son. One of my sons and one of my daughters have got engaged in the last few months. I tell you, everything they're doing is all about the wedding. Just all the preparations. Everything is about the organisation, the big day, the big event. You're not sort of like thinking, you don't leave it to the last minute, the last five minutes, think, oh, we're getting married in five minutes. What are we doing? Flowers, dress. You don't know you ordered the dress. You get yourself ready. As soon as that betrothal happens, you're on notice. The big day's coming and the countdown has begun. You've got to get the dress. You've got to make sure you're going to be dressed ready. You've got to start preparing the guest list. And just, everything is preparation. We're getting married to Christ. This is what all our marriages are, are a picture of. Of the great union one day when Christ comes and takes his bride to himself. And he presents to his church, church glorious without stopping or any other place. And now is our time for preparation. We just need to be getting ready, guys, for the great marriage that is to come. And we do that by becoming conformed to our bridegroom. And though we do not yet see him, we walk with him and we know him in our hearts. We're called to be the bride of Christ. We need to be preparing for the wedding by putting on the characteristics of our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that doesn't just happen. When you talk to Jared and Rachel, their wedding preparations don't just happen. It takes a lot of organisation, a lot of preparation, a lot of effort, a lot of research, a lot of just effort. And it's the same with our Christian walk. It doesn't just happen. If you just leave it to just happen, 
it will not happen. If you leave it just to all happen, you will one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat and you will be ashamed because you'll be naked before him. Because things don't just happen. You have to work at it. You must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it's time for us to awaken from our sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Therefore put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In view of these things, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing nothing is not an option. If you do nothing, you will have nothing in the judgment seat of Christ. It's something we're commanded to do. But how do we do it? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on or clothe yourself with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. doesn't say clothe yourself with self-esteem. Clothe yourself with confidence. Clothe yourself with assertiveness so that you're more likely to think the things you want in life. We used to go to a church and basically come out thinking, I'm not confident enough, I need to become more confident because that's what we live here. But all the scriptures are twisted in such a way that made you think this was the gospel. And it's also it's just psychology of the world and twisting it and putting us spiritually badgering it. Doesn't say clothe yourself with expensive clothes and watches and handbags and cars to show everyone how successful you are. It says clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. These are the characteristics of Christ. They're not very popular in church these days. It's all about being strong and doing spiritual warfare and pumping yourself up with something before someone or I don't know. It's all about Anything but compassion, kindness, and humility. We never talk about these things when we meet in this church. We're talking about church in general. It tells us to clothe ourselves with the characteristics of Christ. Compassion. When Jesus was tired, he looked around and he saw the people harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion for them. And no matter that he was tired, he got himself, he roused himself, and he went to them and he told them. He gave over his time as a most precious resource because he had compassion on them. Do we have compassion today? Do we have soft hearts towards others? You know, I see a lot of hard hearts in the church often today. Hard hearts banging against each other, trying to prove to each other how right they each other are. The second Corinthians 6, the Apostle says, Why not rather be wronged? And rather you wrong do wrong to your brother. The fact that you do these things shows me you're completely defeated already. You're not acting in your own blood. Where's our compassion? Where's our softness of heart? Do we allow ourselves to be moved on behalf of others? When we hear someone in difficulty, does that move us? Does anything move us? We've become so hard-hearted. I think often in, in the UK we've made a, almost like a, um, what do I say? Perfected the art of becoming hard-hearted with a smile. Being very polite in a hard-hearted treatment. Compassion and kindness, actively choosing to do good to others, whoever they are. Not revenging, not taking our vengeance on others. If someone wrongs you, what do you do about it? Do you get your own back? Do you strike back? 
Or do you actively decide to show kindness to someone else? Jesus did so much for you. Humility, I tell you, how we need humility in the church today. Everyone is jockeying for power and position like cocks, boasting against each other and trying to cross each other and how much we know. Humility is preferring others to yourself, putting others, as, as we heard in Philippians chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had that position before God, yet he emptied himself and he became as nothing in him. He was found in appearance as a man. Such utter humility. Not only that, he died a death on the cross. For this reason, God has exalted him. Why? Because he was humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so many of our people in church, we know so much, we've got it all up here, we've got nothing down here. We have all this knowledge of God and all this knowledge of how the Greek says this and the Hebrew says that. And we've got all this knowledge, but we're hard hearted and we have no humility before God. We need to learn to crucify our pride, and God will do that for you. He's very good at doing that. And sometimes He's going to put to your face that you're in the mud. And you, Embarrassed before people, and they think, Lord, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. I go to church every week. I give. I do good things. Why is this happening to me, Lord? Why doesn't it happen to those other people? You see, the people, wicked people in the world, just getting away with stuff and becoming richer and richer and more prosperous. And you think, why am I the one that seems to be under a curse all the time? I fall flat on my face and, and embarrassed. God wants to crucify your pride. Because unless your pride is crucified, you have nothing. You're not even at point one yet. We love to exalt ourselves. It's amazing sometimes when you, when you listen to what we say. Sometimes I started listening to what I say and I suddenly realised how much of what I said was just to draw attention to myself. And I would do without even realising it. It's amazing when you start thinking about what you actually say sometimes. So much garbage comes out of our mouths. It's unbelievable. But put on, put, humility is something you need to put on. It's actively considering others before yourself. Just put it as a practice in your life. Actively put others before myself. God opposes the crowd and gives grace to the humble. Put on gentleness. Not being harsh with people. So easy to be harsh, especially in England. Very good at mocking other people. Being harsh with others and treating people unkindly. Even when people provoke you and answering with a soft tongue. In Proverbs it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Often people say things and they say it designed verbally to provoke something out of you. And the temptation often is just to shoot back so I can give you as good as I get. And you just fail the test. A soft answer produce, uh, turns away wrath. Gentleness is that characteristic where you, you purposely not half of people, but you're gentle with them. And try and allow for people's weaknesses. Patience, put on patience, putting up with people, bearing with people that are frustrating and annoying. Not retaliating against them, suffering long. It's like putting up with people. It's a, it needs a lot of patience in the church today. And forgiving. Being quick to forgive and release an offence. If someone hurts you, and they will. Possibly people very close to you or to you the most. But that's exactly the time to forgive that person and forgive. And even to articulate and keep forgiving them. 
keep the <coughs> never allow any grudge to settle in your heart. If we do not forgive, Jesus says, I will not need to forgive you your sins. And this is something we need to put on because it's a characteristic of Christ. We must clothe ourselves with forgiveness, with patience, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness towards others. And we could say that all these characteristics are summed up in the command to love thy neighbors thyself. Because love does no wrong to an evil. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Sometimes I think it's a good idea just to have this thought in your mind. In what I am saying, what I am doing, am I showing love to my neighbor? Why is that thought in your mind? Am I? By what I am saying to them, or in the manner in which I am saying it to them, am I showing love to this person? Am I trying to benefit them? Am I trying to hit them with something or take revenge or just do something of self? Am I loving my brother and sister by what I am doing or by what I am saying to them? Am I clothing myself with the love of Christ? If we determine to live like this, we repent quickly when we fall short of it. We will find ourselves putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We will find ourselves being dressed in readiness, ready for him at his coming. When speaking to the Church of Rome, Paul used the phrase to put on the armour of light. When we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and his character begins to be reflected in us, it protects our hearts and our souls from harm. His characters and his qualities and his virtues that we put on become like an armour that protects our hearts and our souls from harm. Ephesians 6 verse 14, having girded yourself with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you put on the breastplate of righteousness, that means you're walking in his righteousness. You don't just have the breastplate of righteousness when you do nothing. When you get saved, you get clothed in his righteousness, but then there's a duty to walk in his righteousness. And work that righteousness out in your life. And as you do that, you are putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And breastplate's made of metal, it's tough. It's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect that thing which is most valuable, which is your heart. And the arrows and the deceits and the malice and the evil in this world. But it's something we need to put on. But if we learn to put it on and walk in these things, it will be like an armour that protects us. Sin and flesh wage war against your soul. When, when I was in the world, I had no idea the damage I was doing to myself and the things I did. And I wasn't a particularly bad person. I was self-centred to the core. I used to live a very self-centred life. Expose myself to things that I shouldn't expose myself to, and I had no idea of the damage I was doing to myself. And young people do it, they throw themselves into immorality, thinking they're having the greatest problem time of their life. They have no idea what damage they're doing to themselves. Because sin wars against your soul, it hates you, wants to kill you. And there's so much misery, pain, and misery, and regret with sin. There's people living in prisons of sin, they can't get out of them, they just I wonder if people are depressed these days because they're so bound in their sins. But there's deliverance in Christ. He has come to set the captive free. Putting on the armour of light will save us from so much of this. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Picture is of a king's servant, dressed properly, waiting at the door for his master's return, ready to welcome him at the slightest moment. And he has in his hand a lamp. 
the lamp that is lit, because his master says he will return in the night. Possibly in the second watch of the night, maybe the third watch of the night, but he will be the night. And the wise and the foolish virgins, when did the bridegroom come? In the middle of the deepest, darkest point of the night. Servants in those days had lamps. They didn't have torches, they didn't have uh, Jerusalem batteries, they had lamps. They'd fill with oil. And then light that oil so that a flame would light the way for them in the darkness. Pardon the wise and the foolish virgins, the bridegroom came in the midnight hour, the wise virgins, they all tried to light their lamps. The only the ones who had the oil in it had any light to show them the way in the darkness. So what is our lamp that must be lit? Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This is your lamp. Do you have your lamp this morning? More, more, more to the point, is your lamp lit? See, many people have lamps. Probably every Christian has got a lamp, generally speaking. There's not many lamps that are lit. What's the use of a lamp that is not lit? Is there any light coming out of your lamp? Is there any light coming out of this world as you read it? When you read the word, does it do something in the sight? When you read the words of Jesus, does something of heavenly light start to bathe your soul and affect you inside? That's to know that you have light in your lamp. The only way you have light in your lamp is if you have any oil in it. The oil stands for the Holy Spirit, of course. It's only the Holy Spirit who can transform the pages of our Bibles into living words and light of ourselves. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Many people struggle reading the Word because they have no oil in their lamp. Many people rely on their intellect or their system of theology to which they ascribe in order to interpret the Scripture. Before reading the Scripture they will go according to whatever their system of theology tells them the scripture says and interpret everything according to that system of theology so they are viewing everything through the lens of their system of theology. That's no way to read the Bible. A system of theology may help at times but it's not the, the lens through which we should view the word. We should go to the word and just say, Lord, you're doing a trick to me through the word. Only through the word. Reading books can help but let no book become the prism through which you read the Word. If the Word is not your main source of food or spiritual nourishment, it's something wrong. We're spending time reading books or reading articles online, but not reading the Word, there's something wrong. This is the source. Many people have a lot of head knowledge about the Bible, but they don't have the true knowledge of the understanding. <coughs> Understanding is greater than knowledge. A lot of people have knowledge, but not many people have understanding. The true knowledge of God, that understanding, is that revelation knowledge we receive when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God and reveals it into your soul. So then it becomes the true knowledge of God. It becomes understanding deep in your heart. This is having your lamp lit. For example, most people know that God is holy. If you just ask someone on the street, is God holy? They'll say, yes. That's something God's people say about God is holy. A lot of people know that God is holy. Boris Johnson knows God is holy. People in the world know God is holy. But does it profit you? Is that, is that revelation knowledge? 
But when you pray and you seek God and you spend time with the Lord and you read in the Word and you suddenly see something of God's holiness, your eyes are lifted up by faith and you suddenly see something of God. And you suddenly realize that He is set apart from as soon as He is exalted above the heavens. He is holy. That's when God is holy, becomes the truth and becomes understanding in your heart. It becomes the true knowledge of God. That's the knowledge we need. The true knowledge of God. That's the light of Christ shining in our hearts. That's the light of the lamp lighting in your soul. Because when you when you perceive with your heart that God is holy, your whole life changes. Things you used to do, you just can't do anymore because you know God is holy. And you can't do those things anymore because that's profane. And even though it seems innocuous and not a big deal, you know that God is holy and anything that pertains to God must be holy also. And so I must be holy as He's holy. You can't make jokes about God. I hear people making jokes and turning the Lord's Prayer into different prayers about their dog or something doing things like this, but you can't take, if you know God is holy, you cannot take the things of God and make them into jokes, however innocuous or nice jokes they seem to be, because God is holy, His word is holy, and God's people are holy, you can't be judged by His people because God's people are holy. The true understanding of God's, of who God is, changes you. When you realise that God is righteous, you realise you cannot stand before his righteousness and you appeal to him for his righteousness, for his mercy and his kindness. But if you don't understand his righteousness, you establish your righteousness of your own the Jews did. And they fell flat on their faces in doing so. <clears throat> we so we so need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of God's word to us to, to ride oil on our lambs. There's a great need in our day for people to seek the Lord and to get oil in our lambs. So we have light to show us the way ahead in the darkness. What is the light? Jesus is the light of the world. What light do you have to be your Bible? And this is a theories and philosophies, but is Christ is the central theme of the scriptures. Is Christ shining out of your word? Do you meet with Christ when you read the word? Are you meeting with a person? Are you reading drive? Are you reading, are you reading words in a book or are you meeting with a person? Dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Is your lamp lit? Do you have any oil in your lamp? The best way to get oil in your lamp is to decide that God's truth is the only thing that really matters to you and to ask God to reveal His truth to you through His Word by His Holy Spirit and then begin to go slowly through the Scriptures. Just go through one verse at a time and just start reading and saying, Lord, reveal this truth to me. Don't I used to rush, I don't know about you, I used to sort of tick my box and I've done my four chapters today and I'd rush it through. And I've read my four chapters and tick my box. It profited me nothing. Because I wasn't taking on board any of those words. It's better to spend five, ten minutes on one verse than two hours rushing through four chapters and not actually getting anywhere. Better spend time on those few verses and you just meditate on it and just turn it around and say, what are you saying to me through these verses, Lord? And allow the Holy Spirit to start educating it and renewing our minds and shining His light into our souls. 
seeking for the illumination of the Holy Spirit upon his word. And in time that illumination will come if it is our sole desire to know God and his truth. God will reveal something of himself to you through his word. And when the Lord of glory starts to reveal his truth to you, starts to shine the light of Christ through, you, through his word to you, I tell you it is the most glorious feeling ever. We don't live by feelings, but I tell you, when, you, when the light of Christ starts shining through the word, that sense of lightness on the soul. It's like being in a, you go through the winter and all of a sudden the day dawns and it's a bright day and it's warm and spring has come and you walk outside and ah, spring is here and you just feel the sun out on your skin. That's all a picture of what it is to have the light of Christ shining on you. God designed it in that way. But it will be a picture to teach us, to teach you and me, what it is to be enlightened by Christ to have his face to shine upon us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow. God who shone his light in the darkness in the day one of creation has shone that same light, the same light who is Christ into the darkness of our souls which are formless and void Darkness is over the face of the deep and the light is shining and has enlightened our hearts. Have you experienced this with your light? The days are growing dark around us. Let us be wise virgins who are dressed correctly, clothed in the character and the qualities of Christ. They may be unfashionable, but they want to be clothed with in these days. May we have enough oil in our lamps to enable us to shine, those lamps to shine in the darkness, so we may see the way ahead where we should go. As Jesus said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. For he is coming soon. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord of the lights, Lord of life, Lord of light. We pray, Father God, that you pierce our ears with these words. Pray, Father God, that you give us understanding of these things in our hearts. Father God, we are blind unless you open our eyes. We are deaf unless you open our ears. We are singing, Behold. Behold the Son. Behold the King. Behold our King. Father God, grant us eyes that we may behold you. Give us eyes to see, Father, we pray. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Father, God, may we be blessed by your disciples, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we have fallen asleep. Forgive us when we have become unclothed and we haven't even realized it. Forgive us, Lord. May we be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. May we be constantly clothed. Constantly awake, constantly walking in your righteousness. Help us take these words to heart, Father, we pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for so great a salvation as you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided all things for our salvation in Christ Jesus. Help us to be those who have faith, 
you take hold of Christ, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Father. Help us not get distracted, Father. Forgive us, Lord. We get distracted so easily by the things of this world. Forgive us, Lord, for our frailty. Help us to have that singular focus and we may be dressed in readiness and we may leap with joy at your appearing and we may be ready for your coming. How blessed will we be this time. May this be our experience, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.